1: welcome to buckeye talk i am nathan baird from cleveland.com back after a long baby mandated sabbatical good to be back with you all on the pod i'm here with stephen means you've all heard plenty from in the recent weeks uh, especially because it's been a very busy recruiting situation for Ohio State and all teams across college football here for the past couple of weeks, past couple of months. And that's what we're talking about again today. Ohio State just had one of its busiest weekends of the the summer, had 14 official visitors this past weekend. Steven, kind of give us a, a rundown of what we've heard in the wake of
0: that. Things went really well. And obviously that some of that really well has started to trickle down with the commitment of Kyan Lee on Monday as the number one forty-five player, and the number 18 cornerback out of Georgia. That one had that. The thing about official visits, especially in the June, in the June cycle, how things kind of are now, they can sometimes be a way to kind of jumpstart things, or they can be the final punctuation. And Kyan Lee came here to camp last summer, had a pretty impressive day ran like a four, four forty time. And, left with an offer and it's felt like he's been building a relationship with his coaching staff ever since over the past year starting obviously with Kerry Combs and then Tim Walton taking over once Kerry Combs was let go Um, what helps there is Tim Walton has like Georgia ties so the Georgia connection doesn't have to go away even if you lost a pretty good recruiter in Kerry Combs Tim Walton's kind of picked up where Kerry Combs left off there and so he That's two corners in the class alongside Dijon Johnson with potentially another one headed this way on Friday and Jermaine Matthews, who was here the following the previous weekend, but yeah, that's where it starts. And then obviously the thing everybody wants to ask is what's up with Caleb Downs. How did things go with Caleb Downs? Why is Caleb Downs posting things about his Alabama visit when he's supposed to be on his way to Columbus is Ohio state going to get Caleb Downs, Caleb Downs, Caleb Downs, Caleb Downs. Things went well with Caleb Downs at this point. It's, day, I I don't want to say you know what it is and he knows what it is but this is the number 11 player the top safety and he's been at the top of their defensive board basically since Sonny Styles committed and then reclassified to the 2022 class and it's a want him they need him and in best case scenario they have him sometime in the next couple of weeks here maybe even this week depending on what his timetable is but heading into that visit from people I've talked to, they felt really good about where they stood. And this was an opportunity for his parents to see the campus and his parents to have a sit down, especially his father with Perry Eliato and Tim Walden and Jim Knowles and Ryan day, and not necessarily put punctuation on things to the level of Kyan Lee situation, but headed in that direction. And so I'm pretty confident in feeling like Ohio state's going to get a five-star recruit out of Georgia, which is always a pretty impressive thing.
1: Well, they already got a recruit out of Georgia. We're going to double come back to Kay, Kay and Lee in a moment. I want to mm-hmm. kind of continue this Caleb Downs conversation though, because I know it is urgent in people's minds right now. I feel like sometimes recruiting mirrors the actual play on the field mm-hmm. um, as it comes to the Ohio State Alabama relationship, because all those things that you are saying about Caleb Downs could be very true as far as Ohio State's done everything it can do. Ohio State, Feels like it has a good relationship. Ohio State um, has has put in a lot of legwork and has put itself in position and done great things. And it doesn't matter if Alabama has done all those things better. And uh, which which is what happens on the field, right? I mean, twenty twenty Ohio State had a great team and Ohio State did a lot of really good things, but it wasn't going to beat Alabama head to head in that game. And we've seen that play out in other years, uh, or other situations over the years too. So I guess just what are you putting the chances of Ohio State landing Caleb Downs, do you feel like they are still should be considered the front runner for him? And how much of a threat do you think either Alabama or somebody else still is at this point?
0: Right now, I'd make them the front runner. Um, I'm not gonna do the crystal ball confidence thing, because we don't do those. But I would say right now, Ohio State is in the lead, while I'd say Georgia's probably second, but nipping on the heels. I think what helps with the Alabama, the the Georgia thing though, is Janelle Aguero is probably going to pick Georgia on July 23rd when he commits. He also took an official visit to Ohio state on July on June 17th. So so the weekend before this past weekend, and it feels like they're going to get that guy. And so it's like, OK, Ohio State's sending it's he's from the north. He's from Ma- Massachusetts. So it's like, OK, Georgia's getting this five star safety and Ohio State's getting that five star safety. And it's kind of a flipparoo type of thing. I know it's not that simple, but for the sake of making it simple for our listeners, that's what it seems like. It's here. While I think Bama is just Bama and kids get excited when they get on that campus and see all the trophies and. While sometimes that can pull kids like Richard Young, where it's very clear at this point, he's probably going to end up at Alabama. That doesn't feel like the same vibe with Caleb Downs, where it's like, oh no, the Bama visit went well. What do we do now? It just seems more like he was on Bama's campus and he had a good time. But with that one, it was so important that Ohio State got the last visit because now it has the last set, And it's the last thing he's thinking about as he goes into decision mode here.
1: I guess what is the difference between those two players since you bring them up specifically? Why would why do you think Young was more influenced than Downs would be by um, the best program
0: in college football? Richard Young seems more like an SEC kid who really loved Tony Offord. So that entire basis of maybe he ends up at Ohio State was that maybe he just loves Tony Offord way too much to pass that up. While with Caleb Downs, it's more about the program. Because as I mentioned with K and Lee already, his coaching staff changed. You know, it was this started out as a Matt Barnes, Kerry Combs, Al Washington. Those guys were recruiting him. Those guys are gone now. And so he's had to spend the last six months rebuilding a relationship with Ohio State, with Jim Knowles, uh, Perry Eliano and and Tim Walton. And so it it is more with it. It's. It takes me back to something Paris Johnson said during his recruitment when he was going all over the place. When I first committed here, I committed to Urban Meyer. Well, Urban Meyer is gone now, so you can't – that can't be your excuse for coming here. And so he said, this time I'm in because I love Ohio State. It felt like Richard Young was going to come here because of Tony Alford, while Caleb Downs, if he ends up coming here, it's because of Ohio State. That's a really poetic way to put it.
1: So let's talk about Kyan Lee, uh, kind of the man of the moment, uh, just Mm -hmm. committed, as you said on monday uh tell people about him and was it was how big of a factor was georgia being the hometown program here who did they have to sort of wrestle away from to get him locked up
0: yeah the thing with georgia is georgia has 20 top 200 recruits and so i don't i'm not going to say this one was as ohio state beat out georgia for somebody in their backyard as it would be for like caleb downs i think this was more of like They beat Nebraska, they beat Oregon, and then they beat Georgia, who was like fourth just because he's from there. But this has been a relationship that's been strong for a while now, and Georgia's kind of got their guys already. Um, And I'm trying to say this in a way that doesn't make it seem like Ohio State got Georgia scraps, because that's not what happened here. Kyan Lee's been high on their board. It's just Georgia got A.J. Harris. Who's the number five corner and a five-star recruit, which Ohio State wanted, but they basically lost the moment Kerry Combs, you know, was let go from the staff. It was going to be very hard to make that happen. And the Georgia's also went on some other five-stars around the country. And so it's not about scraps, it's just Kay and Lee was probably higher on Ohio State's board than he was on Georgia's board, just because of where things are at this point. Now I still think he's a quality get because like I said, being the number 18 player. And the mean number 13 player in Georgia is makes you a top 200 recruit. So this is a quality get for Ohio State. It's not the scraps of the matter. It's just when you're building your boards, you're building it differently. And this is a guy for Ohio State who, who could play outside corner or he could end up being a nickel safety. While Georgia, just because of the way their defense runs, they're probably looking for, like, straight up outside corners right now. and He might da- not fit that for them.
1: Yeah, when I was reading about Lee, I, I'm see, just seeing a lot of descriptions of his physicality, a lot of descriptions of uh someone who can like really kind of tackles well can like fight off uh things on the interior and it made me think back to the way Jim Knowles had talked about possibly recruiting cornerbacks to end up being that nickel safety do you expect that that's where he would end up do you think he trends that way do you think he is athletic enough fast enough however you want to say it to stay on the boundary
0: I think They're going to treat it like you see with the defensive line when you have guys who are clearly going to be interior guys one day where they start them off on the outside and teach them all those pass rushing moves and then move them inside. I wouldn't be shocked if when you're recruiting the corners that you know are going to be the nickel safeties, they start out outside just so they can get the press man and all the basics down. But long term, I mean, he's 5'11", 185. And if I'm remembering correctly from seeing him camp last year, he's a little bit old on the smaller side. I won't be shocked if... We go in there for spring practice in 2024, and he's in year two, and he's with the nickel safeties.
1: I think for Ohio State's secondary right now, the key is getting an abundance of talented players and then Mm -hmm. wondering worrying about where they go and that's not i think where you really want to be if you consider yourself like a top program you'd rather be i think identifying guys who can really blossom skill wise but you're at a point of like a turnover in the program from a from a coaching standpoint so everybody's kind of was on the same page here in the last couple months but i just we've talked before about like where things have slid from a defensive back standpoint in this program. And maybe that, maybe we feel very differently about it after this year, after, you know, seeing what Jim Knowles does, seeing what the new assistants do, seeing what some of these second year players do kind of joining Denzel Burke. So maybe we'll feel very differently at that, but it still feels like we're at a juncture for Ohio state where the important thing is go identify and land like legitimate, you know, upper echelon defensive backs, and then worry about where to best fit them on the field.
0: Which is typically what you see with new regimes, right? They just want to, I think he's good. Let's get him in here and we'll figure it out later. And then once you get the ball rolling, that's when you start to implement some things and look for maybe a little bit more specifics. But yeah, I think you're right. Uh, But also, I think that's great to have guys like that as a starter where you're looking for specifics. I think sometimes it's okay to just go find the best player when you're looking for depth because those guys have to be versatile enough to move around, depending on what you need from them in a certain situation. Like you might have, some of this might be, you have plenty of cornerback depth, but you don't have plenty of nickel safety depth. So how about you come play over here where there's an opportunity Versus, And in other years it might be, you know, but also Jim Knowles has already said this, this is a safety driven defense. So I wouldn't be shocked if every single recruiting class, as long as Jim knows is here has an abundance of safeties, because you've got to fill three safety spots every year.
1: Yeah, I'm just, I'm not sure it's depth, though, that that Ohio State has been most worried. Ohio State, it's not defensive back depth that is necessarily keeping Ohio State from the success it wants the last couple of years. It's not having those starters that they really feel like can go out and stop teams like Alabama.
0: Fair point. And Canley has a future as a starter. I'm not, yes, you would have rather had, you'd want AJ Harris, I'm not going to say you'd rather have, I think they wanted both of them, but Canley is not a, it's not a backup plan. I don't think Ohio State is in the business of like top 200 recruiter backup plans just because you didn't get the five star.
1: So Lee is on board. He has committed. Downs, would you say Downs was the most important visitor from last weekend? Yes. And what do you think the
0: timeline is on him? We're in commitment season, as I am now calling it, because it feels like somebody's getting a commitment every 45 minutes right now. I would say in the next, I'm gonna give myself a little bit of leeway here. He'll be in a class by the end of July. Oh, okay. So, well, um, five weeks. Yeah. So that means it could be happening as we're potting this, but it could also happen as we're on our way to Indiana. Wait, oh, wait to, to nail it down. Uh, who
1: else? <laughs> who was another? Uh, what else have you heard about? another big visitor other big visitors who were here this past weekend
0: yeah yeah. let's get into the linebacker talk here because the goal was to get two linebackers but I think there is a combination that could happen where it could end up being three because they're all takes um two of them have taken official visits this past weekend one is holding off until the fall to take his official visits but he did camp and that's Arvell Reese out of Glenville who's a borderline top 300 guy who I think from an athlete standpoint after seeing him in person is one of the 10 best linebackers in this class, but you know, context is everything and you got to actually know how to play linebacker. So let's get into the two guys who are national recruits. The first one I'm going to mention is the lower rated one of the two, and that's Tackett Curtis out of Louisiana, the number 81 player and the number seven linebacker in the country. This feels like I'm going where Jim Knowles is because Jim Knowles was recruiting him at Oklahoma state. And then when he got hired by Ohio state, he called him up. And I think the exact quote was like, yeah, man, I wanted you over here, but uh, now I'm at Ohio state now. And I want you over here. And he said, okay, cool. Let's make this happen. And so I, of the two national guys, I am on the side of Tackett. Curtis is going to end up being a Buckeye at some point by the end of the summer, maybe even in that same time span that we're talking about with Caleb downs, cause it is commitment season. He is a, what Jim Knowles wants in a line and these inside linebackers guys who just attack and don't necessarily do a bunch of overthinking. And I think he can play either Mike or will, and even some Sam if necessary, because this is a big 10 and sometimes you have to put three linebackers on the field. And then the other one is Troy Bowles who camped last year, built a very solid relationship with Al Washington. And if that last name sounds familiar, it should because he is the son of now Buccaneers head coach, Todd Bowles, the number four, 44 player, the number two linebacker in the country out of Tampa, Florida. um And I felt personally that Al Washington left, so did the chances of getting t- Troy Bowles because he's a top 50 recruit from Florida who has all the options in the world. Maybe Georgia steals him, or maybe, you know, Oklahoma now without they have a defensive minded head coach gets him. But it's actually felt like Ohio State is still very much in this against both of those two programs. And as I said before, if I would be comfortable saying Tackett, Curtis, and Arvell Reese are Buckeyes by signing day. If there's going to be a third linebacker, though, it's going to be Troy Bulls.
1: I wondered if, if even someone like Tim Walton, if you know, just because of his NFL yeah. connections, if there's anything that he could do there to help with that. And that's where, as we've talked before, you know it's not always the position coach off very often. The position coach has the most influence over getting somebody at a certain position, but there's always things going on at that second level, sometimes even third level, the connections that they, and so I'm just speculating, but that's one area where maybe they could reach out there. Um, who else?
0: This is fun so far. We're just going down the list here. Um, so as we talked about at length, before nathan was a father and now after nathan is a father ohio state wants two running backs in this class we've already mentioned that the chances with richard young are probably slim to none given that he canceled his official visit to ohio state which was supposed to be this past weekend they've already got mark fletcher in the class which to be completely honest with you i'm not sold they're going to get two running backs and i think mark Fletcher is a quality running back regardless of his rating i think he's a pretty quality guy if that's the only guy they can but if there's going to be a second guy, as things stand right now, it's going to be Justice Haynes as we go back to Georgia, who has just transferred to Buford High School, the same high school as Harry Miller, and Ohio State's had some other guys come out of Buford as well, the number 53 player, the number four running back, where it feels like it's Ohio State versus Georgia, and it's Tony offered the recruiting you know, guy that he is, the, the reputation he has, versus a kid who's from Georgia who also has a father who played at Georgia. So that's another situation. That's a lot to try to go up against a a program where your dad played there. You live there. And also Georgia's coming off a national championship and they're just as prominent at developing running backs as Ohio state is maybe even more given that Ohio state, it's like every four years, they have a guy while with Georgia, they have seven running backs on the roster right now. We're probably going to be NFL players one day, but we'll see. It's another situation where Ohio state's in the race. It's just a matter of are they going to win it or not? And I don't that's of the places where it's like you're in the race. Are you going to win it or not? I don't necessarily put running back high on the you need to win this the same way I do with a guy like Caleb Downs or even like some of these linebackers.
1: Anybody else that you need to pass along some intel from this past weekend?
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll stick with one more Georgia guy and then two other guys that I just think are interesting from this list of there were 14 guys here on the only two commits that came were Luke Montgomery and Malik Harford. And that's because all the commits were here the week prior. Um, This was obviously more about the, the targets. One of those targets is Darren Reed, a lower, he's 228 overall, the number 34 defensive lineman also out of Georgia, who is clearly having some post visit glow. And we're going to see here if that post visit glow, you know, what the post visit glow is you get a teenager on campus, show him all the cool things. And he's he like, oh, man, I want to come here. And the parents have to go. No, let's go home and think about this and not just make any rash decisions. Well, he's got a he's got a, a commitment date for Fourth of July, which is like prime commitment date for the world. Apparently people love committing on holidays when journalists think they should be off. Uh, he's picked up a little bit of Ohio State momentum, so it's going to be an Ohio State versus LSU versus Florida State kind of battle here to try to get him, which is interesting because Florida State wasn't one of the schools to get an official visit from him while LSU was. So maybe I would say Ohio State versus LSU with Florida State kind of limping in the background, making sure nobody forgets about them. So that's one. And then another guy, for the sake of we haven't talked about tackles for a while, Olassa Lennon out of Connecticut, the number 122 player and the number 15 offensive tackle in the country. Samson Okunlola was probably Ohio State's best chance of getting a five-star tackle. He has not visited Ohio State. He has visited other places in the Big Ten, and it doesn't feel like there's much traction between Ohio State and Samson Okunlola, which pushes up Olas Lennon even further up on the list of who are the most important guys still left on Ohio State's board. Caleb Downs is probably one. I can hear an argument that Olaus is two just because of the position he plays and what you do and don't have on your roster right now um Alabama's in this as well that's the, once again it, it, that's what it feels like right now Ohio State versus the powers that begin in college football which should be the case by this point in the summer now that all these kids have been all over the place taking official visits and all the big time programs are getting involved but he also took official visits to Georgia Miami and Oregon this summer but uh, Olasso Lennon is the one that people should be keeping an eye on because if Ohio State's going to get a top 200 tackle in this recruiting class it's going to be him so
1: let's take a break. We're going to come back. You wrote something for our site where you updated your projection on who is actually going to end up in Ohio State's 2023 recruiting class. We're going to go through that a little bit. We're going to play like some point counterpoint. We're going to you made some points in here and I'm going to make counterpoints that kind of pressure test the way you are thinking about this class. And we'll maybe have some back and forth on that. You were listening to Buckeye
0: Talk.
1: get the text 614-350-3315. I haven't been able to say that in a while. I know I'll say this, having the texts while I was on paternity leave was a huge help. It, I I didn't realize, I'm, I'm being truthful when I say this, I didn't realize the value of some of the things we do until that was the way that I was getting all my information. Cause I'm not trading texts with uh, people at Ohio State or other sources or anybody I'm barely trading text really with Doug and Stephen frankly this over those true. two months I was mostly worried about just an avalanche of poop that was coming down uh, every day that I had to take care of so um great value I, I found I felt like I was very informed the work that the Doug and Stephen uh, were doing with the text so again 614 350 3315 2 week free trial Buckeye talk. You Stephen, wrote for the site uh, for, I guess this was a couple days ago. You did a projection of the 2023 class back in December when you did it, I think you were projecting like 22 players and now mm-hmm. you're projecting more like 27. Why the increase?
0: Safety. As I kind of mentioned earlier, I think there's going to be an abundance of just defensive backs in this class. I think at the time, What's interesting, in neither one of these predictions, I put a quarterback, so it might even get up to 28. So it started there. um, And then wide receiver. I don't think at the time in December I was thinking they were going to end up with four. I thought maybe two or three, just because the only guaranteed guy to leave after this year, at least from an NFL draft perspective, is Jackson Smith and Jigba. So they could run it all back and basically bring the entire room back. So maybe you wouldn't go big at wide receiver, but you'd get some big time names there. And uh, it, it, probably those two are the two spots where it's most impacted. And then also like linebacker, I think I included three linebackers in this prediction. Prediction, I wouldn't have done that back in December, but really more than anything, Jack Smith, is big, but being the only guy who at that moment you would say, oh yeah, he's not going to be on the roster in 2023 from a wide receiver standpoint. But then also I think I did that prediction pre Jim Knowles hire. So I didn't put as much of an emphasis on safety as I am right now.
1: Like I said, I want to do sort of some point counterpoint. Why don't you kind of take us through just a, a quick breakdown of how you think this class is going? I guess we don't have to go necessarily player by player, mm-hmm. but just the, the sort of the maybe the things that are like still the most looming that need to come f- uh, to fruition for this class.
0: Yeah. Defense. I think right now the offense is doing fine as far as well. It's, I'll, Outside of offensive line, I think Brian Hartline did what Brian Hartline has been doing. Tony Alford's got at least one guy, and they've been set at tight end basically since literally commitment one with Ty Lockwood. And so it just became a matter of, okay, when are these defensive commitments are going to come? We know Larry Johnson over the last two cycles has kind of played anchor. And so I wouldn't expect him to be done until closer to signing day. I mean, in this 2022 class, three of the four guys he got, one of them committed 24 hours before signing day and the other two didn't announce their commitments until the late signing period, one of which waited to an All-American game to do so. So I'm I'm not necessarily worried about whether they'll get defensive linemen. It's just not worrying about it right now. Um, so I ended up saying, what, 27 commits were 316.38 points. That would be three straight years where Ohio State was over 300 total points for a recruiting class. The only other program who's done that is Bama. And we see what Bama does because they keep getting these over 300 point threshold classes, five, five stars, 11, top 100 recruits, which of those 11 top 100s, I'd say all, but maybe two where I'm like, I can really see this happening while the other one, I, I mean, you got to take a flyer somewhere with these ones. You got to, you know, part of predicting is knowing that at some place you're going to be wrong. And so at some point you got to pre- you know, convince yourself to do one thing or another. But yeah, 11 top 100 recruits, five five stars, everything but a quarterback. So I predicted 27 plus one, because I think there will be a quarterback in this class. I'm just not, and we can get into that later in this pod, but I'm just not sure that option has revealed himself quite yet because of some, you know, recent developments.
1: You know, on that, that concept of um, the, the certainty that you feel towards the guys that are still out there. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like a, a team can have, when you're competing at this level, you're trying to be a top five recruiting class or better every year. And you're really, you know, competing, like we've said before, it's it's probably even tighter than that, right? It's probably like top three. And if you settle so, for top five, almost. So if that's the way you're thinking, can you, can you put together a class like that without winning one that maybe you weren't supposed to win or winning one
0: that catches people by surprise or one that you really have to fight for i don't think you can because that i mean that was the whole thing let's sit the last two times ohio state's really put together a class where it's like that class you won a national title 2017 and they came close it's just you know clemson happened and um even if they had beaten clemson lsu was right there you're not supposed to get chase Young. that's a kid from dc with D- the dmv area with no connection here who just loved Larry Johnson. You're not supposed to get Jeff Okuda, but Kerry Combs at that time, who was still on the staff when they were recruiting that class, had the reputation he had, so he got him. You're not supposed to get J.K. Dobbins, Baron Bra- all those Texas guys that they got. In 2021, I understand you're supposed to get Jack Miller, but you're not supposed to get a Mecca from the other side of the country. Not Jack Miller, Jack Sawyer, sorry. You're not supposed to get JT Tui You're not supposed to get Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor in the same class. You're not supposed, maybe you're supposed to get Donovan Jackson because he has Ohio ties, but you're not supposed to get Marvin Harrison Jr. So it goes on down the list. If you're going to, you have to have those guys. And I think I have a good combination of really that's the, that 2021 class is the only class where there's like three or four guys in it so far in the day area era where you're like, that guy's not supposed to be in this class because even in the 2020 class, most of those guys make sense outside of wide receiver. So it, Ohio State's kind of due for a class where there's four or five guys in it where you're not supposed to get that guy, but you got him anyway. And I think I have a good balance of guys like that.
1: All right, so let's kind of go position by position and the way that you talked about some of these uh, guys that you're projecting. Let's start running back, as you kind of already mentioned when we were first talking about this, we thought it was probably going to be a two running back class. I think we especially thought that because Mark Fletcher was the first running back to commit to this class and Mm -hmm. Ohio state was still pursuing guys who were five stars, top 50 upper echelon guys. And as you're saying now, Ohio State has trended away from being able to land those kind of guys in this class. So, what is your assessment? If 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 what you predict is true, and Mark Fletcher is the only commitment for this class at running back, only eventual signee for this class at running back, that's good, bad, um, a wash. How do
0: you look at it? It's decent. You almost have to talk about running back recruiting in pairs with other classes a little bit because no, twenty twenty sucked. Yeah, it sucked. But then you got Trayvon Henderson the next year. So, are you okay with sucking in twenty twenty if it got you the number one running back in this class? I think Mark Fletcher is a quality running back. I don't think he is. Qua- I think his ceiling here is maybe Trey Sermonish, where like it's out there for him to do something crazy like that, but more than likely, it's not gonna happen. But I think he's a quality second running back to a guy like Travion Henderson, especially, and then a quality second running back to whoever you go get in 2024, where they're already in, in on some guys like Stacy Gage out of IMG, who's a, five, IMG, who's a five-star rec- recruit. You're already in on guys like Donovan Johnson in 2025. And so I think, I think there's a balance between having to go get a Mayan Williams late versus like, you think you might've found something. And so you lock in on it six months before signing day, because they probably could have held off on the Mark Fletcher commitment if they wanted to, if they've genuine, if especially since they were still in the running for Richard Young and Justin Haynes at that time, but they didn't, they took him right away. And I think what helps boost that up is Miami is still heavily trying to flip him right now. So it's not like they got him and it's like, everybody chilled out. There are still top tier program. Well, I wouldn't call Miami a top tier program, but power five programs out there who are trying to flip them right now. And so that says something as well. So I'll to put a grade on it. I'll say B minus, which I think is decent. Yeah, I wouldn't call Miami
1: a top tier program, but with Cristobal there, with it being yeah. a backyard situation, with their history, with, you know, what could happen there. I, I you know, you can't blow them off. It's not like it's, Florida International, that's trying to keep him home. It's it's Miami. I guess it's interesting that you bring up that you have to think about this in terms of multiple classes, because I think that's why I still have some concerns about this. We talked about this on a pod a couple of months ago. I guess everything's been a couple months ago now, if I've talked about it on a pod, but where we were looking at the future, of the OSU running back room. So 2023, Trevin Henderson's gonna be there. Mm-hmm. And then you could have a senior year, Mayan Williams, you could have redshirt sophomore Evan Pryor. And then you, even if you don't have one of those, Dallin Hayden would then be a sophomore redshirt freshman. So, from a depth standpoint, and then Mark Fletcher would be joining. So, from a depth standpoint, you should have plenty of legs in the running back room. Mm-hmm. One year later, though, 2024, you'll be looking at maybe Evan Pryor uh, still around as a redshirt junior for like a fourth year junior, maybe. Uh, you would have Dallin Hayden as a junior or a redshirt sophomore, but that's a guy barely ranked in the top 300. And I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm always the one who says, and it to be like, you know, don't make a guy's recruiting ranking too much of his identity. But as soon as I say that everyone says, but Nathan, by and large, those recruiting (laughs) rankings are pretty accurate in which I'll say you're right. And then Mark Fletcher would be the other guy in that room. So those are the three guys that you would be looking to carry that running back room right now. And then in 2025, And that would include, you know, presumably someone coming in the 2024 class, I guess. But in 2025, as it stands right now, you're going to have maybe a fifth year Evan Pryor. uh, Dallin Hayden is a fourth year player and then Fletcher also as well. So those 2024, 2025 seasons are where I think this is, I would probably rank this lower than a B minus because you don't know at all exactly what the top end of that room is going to look like. And these guys that they're bringing in, I mean, go back to 2021, because it's Ohio State, as it stands today, it wasn't getting two running backs that was critical for Ohio State. It was getting Trevion Henderson that was critical for Ohio State. And if Evan Pryor decided to go somewhere else, they would have probably signed someone else for depth, or there would have been another scholarship for another year. Like that isn't the make or break thing right now. Trevion Henderson's the make or break thing. Trevin Henderson's mm-hmm. whether you win a national championship or not. So I'm looking at 2024 and I'm looking at 2025. And I know Trevin Henderson is going to be off investing in real estate off his NFL checks at that point. And I'm thinking, where's that difference maker? Um, if, it's, if, it, if it's Evan Pryor, I guess that's great. I don't think he's sticking around for five years though. And so this really, again, I don't know if you can call it um uh, above average if it's leaving a gap like this that you then absolutely have to fill in 2024 because that's what happened with trevion henderson
0: yeah and just to counteract that i i don't disagree with you but i think the, another way you can look at it is what made getting trevion henderson possible was that there was a clear message if you can come in and make an impact right away and i do think running back because of how it operates is one of those positions where a guy can come take the job as a true freshman and just, like, be a dude. We saw I – and mean, especially – I mean, we've seen it the last two dudes at Ohio State. Travion Henderson did it as a true freshman, and J.K. Dobbins did it as a true freshman. And you really couldn't sell that to Richard Young because it's like, it's hey, come sit behind Travion and then take over as a guy, as a sophomore. It feels like – I'm glad you come around on that because I think that was the I know. point I was
1: trying to hammer down the very first time Richard Young's I like, name came up. Yeah, no, I think I,
0: it feels like we've we've like flipped we've like flipped points here. Yeah, you're right. So yeah, to that point, I th- it's the, the the way you can look at it now is you can tell the guy in 2024 come come be here and be the dude for three straight years.
1: Yeah, I 100 agree with that. You know when else they could have said that when they were trying to recruit a running back for 2021. 2020- <laughs> 2020 oh yeah because there was a huge need running back at that year and they didn't do it so that's all i'm saying right now is that the a hole exists here because Mm -hmm. of the way this class is going to break down by the way so fletcher was like a number 150 again i'm not trying to assign a number to these guys identity but this is how we we gauge the 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 strength of the class overall and the strength of the position rooms overall. So Fletcher was like a 150-ish recruit when he committed a prospect, yes. and now he's dropped like 70 points. Do you know yes. why he's trended in that direction?
0: Running back's weird. I think because like 707 seven doesn't really feature running backs like that. He's on that seven on seven team with like Brandon Innes and Carnell Tate and a bunch of other top-tier guys. I think you often see running backs fall in the ratings around this time. And then once they get back with their high schools and play normal football, you'll see them climb back up. Um, so I, I, that's the only kind of explanation. Because nothing changed. It's, he hasn't played an actual football game lately that would change that type of stuff. So I would I would assume I would assume he'll be in the top 200 by the time he signs, just because of how this works. Because what we're also seeing is a lot of wide receivers and quarterbacks starting to rise right now because that's what's being featured in defensive backs. Because while he dropped – a guy like Deshaun Johnson, who was like barely in on the top 200 when he committed, is now a top 100 recruit.
1: Shouldn't shouldn't that be something that the recruiting sites correct for as they're doing their rankings? I mean, <laughs> I'm yes. just thinking out loud. Here. <laughs> yes, I mean, we're the ones who are trying to credibly talk about this yeah. stuff um, based on the analysis that they're giving. So yeah, um, okay, uh, offensive line. Everyone knows that we are, you know, staring into this shotgun of a, a tackleless offensive line in 2023 for Ohio State. And uh, we never thought that they were going to land someone in this class that was going to step in day one and be a difference maker for that offensive line. But you do have to start building this back in some way. You have to mm-hmm. start replenishing and rebuilding some momentum in that room. And that's because that's why they made the change. That's why Justin mm-hmm. Fry is here and Greg Studrow is not. So your assessment of this offensive line based on your prediction, um, how did offensive – if if what you predicted is true, when we look at this in uh, on signing day, will this have been good, bad, neutral for offensive line?
0: So you should definitely sign up for the text because I sent this entire list to them a day before I put the actual post out. And I think the exact text I sent – for the bullet point for offensive line was this O-line collection is fine, dot, 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 at best. And I think that's, I think I'll give Justin Fry some reprieve because Ohio State was already significantly behind the eight ball with a lot of the top tier targets because of, you know, previous employee. Employee, Greg Shudraw, who wasn't getting it done on the recruiting show, a guy like Caden Proctor, who's from Iowa, if he's not going to stay home and he's in the Big Ten footprint, he should be at Ohio State. That's just not okay. that he wasn't even it's not okay that Justin Fry wasn't in that in the fight for that two weeks after he got the job. But I will give Justin Pryor, he did a great job locking up Ohio with Luke Montgomery, jo- Joshua Padilla, and Austin Vell. So your interior offensive line should be strong if Luke Montgomery doesn't work out as, out as a tackle, which they're going to start him out, but his future is probably at interior offensive line. So that's fine, That's but that's the case right now. They've got all this interior offensive line depth and no tackles. Miles Walker, they like him, but, I mean, he's a guy who's 469 a more long-term development guy at a position that's already a developmental position. So we'll see it's their, You know, they're going to have a guy who like, let's see if we can turn him into another Dewan Jones in every single class. And as I mentioned earlier, I, I, I like their chances with Olasa Lennon. He's their best chance at getting a top tier guy. Who's a sure file ta- fire tackle because of his size. But I mean, it's decent, but it also like talking about classes and pair here. If Justin Fry doesn't go take some head coaching job after the 2022 season, there's a lot of pressure on the 2024 recruiting class to go get some dudes in that class. Because, like I said, this is fine, but it's, I can't give it anything higher than like a C minus because nothing wild you hear.
1: Yeah. I think the most damning thing that you said was that the, it was from the previous segment when you said that the number 122 recruit in the country is currently the second most important prospect in this class, Mm -hmm. because that's how desperately they need offensive line, especially offensive tackle talent. And I'm not saying that someone who's ranked number 122 nationally couldn't come to Ohio state, be a difference maker, be a future NFL player, but, um, that's not what, that's not how Ohio state typically builds championship teams. And. This still really looms out there. And again, I agree that it's not like Justin Fry's fault. It's more Ryan Day's fault, I guess, than Justin Fry's fault. If you want to you know, start, if you want to be assessing blame somewhere, just because he's the one who oversees all of this. And um, this didn't get addressed a couple years ago, regardless of who the assistant coach was. Mm. But it, it's still, man, you're right. Like this is another year where uh regardless of where this class ends up being ranked and regardless of what they get we're going to talk about that in a second about how how to truly assess the talent because it's been a, a topic of conversation on this pod before and i think it bears repeating today but still just like a very big looming hole there now i also have heard like i was talking to somebody the other day who was like um oh man i don't know if you've seen this tegra bullet kid but he is man he's big like, yeah, and, and things like that. Like, it, it, so there's, they've got guys on this roster who are making favorable impressions on, uh, you know, people who've seen some things. And I think that's good, but I don't think they ever thought Tegra Shabola was going to be a left tackle here. Luke Montgomery is the big offensive uh, get for this offensive line get for this class. You're saying probably maybe potentially not staying at, at tackle for his career. Mm-hmm. It, man, it just, th- this thing is like, not only is it like, and we've talked about the Donovan Jackson thing. Maybe they move him to to tackle and he takes care of that problem for a couple of years, but maybe they don't, or maybe they do. And he's not as good there as he would have been a guard. And it, it's just, and if I'm an Ohio state fan, I'm, I'm impatient about this. I'm sure many of you are that like, why is this still not getting addressed? There was only so much they could do for 2023 at the point that that uh, coaching change was made, I suppose, mm-hmm. but I think you're right. I think 2024 is massive. And the reason why that should be a concern is because we had this same discussion about the 2022 class, right? Like, Oh man, like that's really looming out there. Like they've got to find a tackle in that class, like Zach rice or um, the other guy's name is escaping me right this second. Like there were those, those upper echelon guys, like they've got to get in the mix and get one of those guys. They got none of those guys. And here we are.
0: Oh, I'll say it has a tackle problem, man. And it feels like we did a. I don't know if you heard the pod Doug and I did about the top 10 recruits since Urban Myers showed up here. <laughs> and with the fact that we put Thayer I did listen into that in, pod, I didn't okay. listen to
1: every pod, but I listened to that one.
0: Okay, cool. I, I would hope you didn't listen to every podcast. There's a junior who probably needs more of your attention.
1: Well, it's it's actually, it's nice to have something to listen to when the baby is screaming and you don't know why, but sure. uh, I, I, I I was judicious about it. Like I listened to a lot of football things. I haven't quite circled back around to the fast food one. I'm probably, which, which is, which I, I, I'm one of those Buckeye okay. Talk listeners, I suppose. Okay.
0: Yeah. The ones who want the Buckeye talk, <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, I think those I, other it, things have value too, but yeah, anyway, um, <laughs> what were you about to say about how it relates to the,
0: uh, we were having a, the part of the reason why we ended up with Michael Jordan and Terry Buffer on that list is because at the time, Ohio state had a tackle problem. And so, man, they found some pretty quality options to fix their tackle problem. And here we are five, six years later and Ohio state still has a top ta- tackle problem. Now, The guy responsible for that tackle problem is no longer here, but we can say this is not Justin Fry's fault, this cycle. That's it though. After this, it is going to be on you and it is going to be your fault. If Ohio state still has a tackle problem in classes going forward. It's just so weird to, how do you even have this conversation? The, the, the program
1: that like stood by. When he came and the program that recruited Paris Johnson jr. And the program that went and found Dewan Jones and made him what he is and could still be, all of that within the last six years. How does that program two of those guys are still on the roster? How yeah. does that program have a tackle problem? Like At that's, a cool when you want to, to pass the, the ball it? this
0: much. When you want At to pass school, the ball pass this ball, much, yeah. it's it's
1: um it's it it boggles the mind, and um, I don't think this class uh stills that boggling. If that's the term I'm looking for. Uh, All right. So wide receiver, huge success at wide receiver. You guys did a recruiting pod. You and Doug last week, breaking down the commitment of Carnell Tate in the wake of that, you also had Brandon Ennis. You also had. Oh, Rogers Rogers. Yes. I remember the rush. I can't remember the first name. Mm -hmm. So, so three more uh, receivers for the three more top 50 receivers. Right. And then now four for the class. Uh, overall receivers you almost can't even I, I, it's so hard to even talk about because I we've had fans listeners of ours reach out to us and I think very astutely point out hey are is the receiver recruiting and, and to some extent the quarterback recruiting skewing the assessment of these classes overall and I feel like 2023 is maybe setting up to be another example of that. We're gonna talk about quarterback in the third segment. Quarterback's not gonna be a make or break position for this class, but it's not gonna be a it's gonna be a detriment probably to the overall ranking of the class because they're not gonna get a top guy, probably. Mm-hmm. But it's it's with receiver, I, I was looking at this. So the, the 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 projection that you put out would be an average star rating of ninety-four point one eight. Mm-hmm. If you pull out the three top 50 receivers, it cuts like a half point off of that star average. It doesn't sound like a lot. And if it, it, that, that average star rating would still hold up. If this class came to fruition, as you projected, it would still hold up among the best in the country. I think Alabama is up around 95 right now. They only have seven commits, but you're mm-hmm. getting up in that 93, 94, 95. You have put together a strong class when you're considering the, the sheer numbers that, that these schools are bringing in. But, Now think of that number 93.65 and now take off a guy here, a guy there where your projection doesn't come true and they end up having to take somebody less there. And now you start to see where the kind of the meat of this class gets pulled out a little bit and where that receiver ranking is kind of propping things up. So I, I, on one hand, it's not true for this class. If if what you say is if what your projection is correct, and they land, especially some of these edge guys they have coming in, if they land um, downs, if they bowls, and some of these other like important defensive guys, that's we're, it's going to trend in the right direction for Ohio State. But when if those guys start to not become part of this class, then I think we look at this class a lot like we looked at last year's, which was like, okay, yeah. They're ranked there and it's important to have good quarterbacks and receivers, but it feels a little hollow if you're not taking care of many other positions at the same level.
0: I think if there's one place you could be pessimistic about the way Ohio state has recruited in the Ryan day era, it's that what if what we saw in 2021 from the actual team is more of a preview of what Ohio state is now, because if you look at their 2023 class right now, it looks like a, Damn good tw- seven on 17. And that's constantly been the case by this point in 2020. You had four top 100 receivers. uh Jack Miller was your quarterback. You had just gotten in on CJ Shroud. And I mean, look at this past season. CJ Shroud's awesome after he gets healthy. Jackson Smith the Jigba was the best receiver on his team, and he was wide receiver three, while Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are first rounders. Where would where's the problem show up in the ability to run the ball at times and the ability to, to stop elite level pass rushers against Michigan? So you started looking like a seven on 17 very quickly there. Where are we uh, not? And the defense and the defense and the, and, yeah, and the defense. Yeah. Yeah. And the defense. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Maybe probably most should, importantly, the defense. Yeah, that probably shouldn't have been. And. But even th- they're fixing that, the, the some, at least the back end of the defense, where you've got that 2021 class of guys like Jordan Hancock, J.K. Johnson and Denzel Burke. So that's even being fixed from that standpoint. You think the defensive maybe. back? Yeah, maybe. Maybe.
1: Allegedly. The, the, we're hearing good things. We'll see what they yes. do on the field. It's not Allegedly. me. I'm just, it's just me keeping things in perspective. It's not me I hating know. on them.
0: It, feel, it feels like. 2023 could be decent because DeJon Johnson is pretty good. If you get Caleb Downs, that's awesome. Kyan Lee's a top 200 recruit. Uh, uh, Jermaine Matthews, who may be joining the class on Friday, I think he's really good because I saw him with my own two eyes. I think he's pretty good. Malik Harford is a top 150 recruit. And so the, the passing the ball part of football, whether it's defending it or actually doing it, seems like it'll be fine for Ohio State. It's in the trenches where Ohio State is having a lot of these issues, whether it's because Larry Johnson works late and so you spend 12 months being worried about are the rumors that people are using the imminent retirement of him coming soon against Larry Johnson uh, finally starting to work until they're not getting top tier guys or as we've already discussed that lengthier, the offensive line recruiting not being what it needs to be or even that linebacker where you can't seem to get a five-star top 50 recruiting here unless he's two hours from your program. So that, that's where the issue is. And so, yeah, right now, Ohio State's recruiting class looks like they're building the greatest 707 team of all time. Where are the guys in the trenches? Because right now the, the skill position guys are propping up the class, which is fine because you need those guys. But you also have to make sure that this isn't a 7 team. You do need guys in the trenches who can get the job done as well.
1: And again, this is a projection, so I'm not criticizing this clasp before it comes Mm -hmm. in. I'm simply just trying to put the context out there that many of you who are listening to this have brought to us in conversations that we've had over the texts and other places in the last year or so, which is uh it's great that we're doing the receivers and the quarterbacks and those are important and you don't win as many games as Ohio State has the last three years without Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and Justin Fields and although he wasn't a recruit and CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba like you gotta have that. You gotta have it. But uh we also saw some examples where that's not enough. So it's just something to keep an eye on. I think as this class comes together, is it, where is the rest of the enough that it's going to take um, from a defensive side of things. You've got you know Ohio State eventually landing two, you know, top twenty-five uh, edge guys. You've got Ohio State. We already talked about down. So let's talk about those edge guys because I think that's another really critical position for this class if you can keep this this pass rush coming. We're going to be in a situation where that's going to be a real torch passing season potentially because that would be a third year for both JT Tui Maloao and Jack Sawyer. If we think those are only three-year players, then they need something in 2023 because as we saw this past year, even guys as good as JT Tuomiloao and Jack Sawyer even with an opportunity you don't necessarily come in and just blow the doors off the place as a freshman so if they can get guys like this in 2023 to come in it seems like um, it it sets the stage for those guys to do what we think Tuomiloao and Sawyer could do in their second year but it also kind of puts a spotlight on how critical it is to get those guys
0: yeah, let's start with Keon Keeley. And as I said in the text, and as I said in the post, this is the biggest reach I have on here. I said that understanding that, like, you got to have some reaches somewhere. You know, this is the number you know, eight player, the top defensive end in the country who is committed to Notre Dame right now. For starters, part of the, I'm not completely sold he's going to end up at Notre Dame is because he didn't commit to Notre Dame as a number eight player and top edge rusher in the country. He was the guy outside the top, 100, that Notre Dame got in on early back before Al Washington was at Notre Dame as their defensive line coach. So there were just a lot of factors where it felt like, all right, this kid might reopen his, his recruitment here and you know maybe ends up in the SEC or maybe Ohio State can get involved. And then he showed up on Ohio State's campus this spring for a practice. And it's like, okay, It looks like that door has opened up a little bit while also he's from Florida and he's been at Florida a few times over the last six months here. It just seems like a a formula for a kid who might not end up at the school he's currently committed to. I pick Ohio state because Larry Johnson is still Larry Johnson until proven otherwise. And I just think for mistake of, it would be fun if there was that much more on the line for that season opener, Ohio state, Notre Dame, where like, not only is it a chance for Marcus Freeman to make a statement if he wins, but also if he loses and Ohio state, like wipes the floor with him, Keon Keeley, who I think it would be a Notre Dame's best interest if he's not there for that game, but who knows? He may he pops up, but what if he pops up to that game, Ohio state blows him away and it doesn't feel like Larry Johnson's going anywhere. And all of a sudden the Ohio state momentum starts.
1: Well, And especially if it's a big day for Ohio state's defensive line, which yes. we're, been kind of waiting for for a couple of years mm-hmm. I, I know saying that the defensive line has had some big games but i don't know if they've really had big performances in big games mm-hmm. if that makes sense i mean they had like the nine sack game this past year but like it's con- accurate right context is important so um i think your logic there makes sense as far as like why you would project that i think that scenario you're talking about is a little bit more common when you're talking about you know players at frankly like eight of the 12 big 10 programs Mm -hmm. identify players and then hope like hell that they don't rise Mm -hmm. up the rankings because they know that's how they lose them I don't know if Notre Dame worries about that quite as much Uh, nor does Ohio State I think you know they 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 Mm -hmm. like to get guys and then watch them go up the rankings and then still end up at Ohio Mm -hmm. State because I think they feel like they're fortified they can they can handle that
0: yeah and that's why um he's clearly the one on this list where i'm okay if i'm wrong but if i'm right just be sure i'm going to say i'm a genius because that's how this works the other guy i don't think i'm reaching on at all and that's mateo uya who right now is the number 21 player in the set number two edge rusher which also is what makes it a little bit ridiculous though, because i'm saying ohio state gets the top two edge rushers in the country even though they did just get jack sawyer and jt tweemolo who are two and three buying corey foreman who ended up at usc because he's from california so here's the deal Clemson doesn't feel to be in this fight, um, which is interesting, given that, you know, Big Dave sent his son there to be the quarterback, but obviously that hasn't worked out the same way, and they also don't play the same position, so you can't even, quarterback recruiting and every other position recruiting are not the same, so it doesn't really matter, but here's what I do know, this is a race against Oregon and Lincoln Riley's USC now, and This is a kid from California who go anywhere in the country and he's been to Ohio state three times in the past year and should have been here a fourth time because they were trying to butt off to get here for a game and they just couldn't make it because they're from California and that's hard sometimes to do. They were trying to bring an entire big group of St. John Bosco's kids out here for either the Oregon game or the Penn state game, I believe. And they just couldn't make it out here. So they had to keep crossing them off the list, but he keeps coming on his own dime and then cap that all off with an official visit on june 10th i don't i think sometimes the ohio state beat gives ohio state too much credit and there's times when the national media doesn't give ohio state enough credit and you have to toe that line of which way it's going with every single recruitment i feel like this is more of a the national media is not giving ohio state enough credit here for a guy who has paid to come to columbus multiple times and i understand big dave loves everything but from my understanding, they really love Larry Johnson, and they really love what they've had to see from you know, Ryan Day and the rest of this program. So I don't think it's a reach at all for myself or anybody else if they wanted to predict that Mateo was going to be a Buckeye.
1: So, like you said, you projected, um, and we've already talked about linebacker. We've already talked about safety, yeah. so people can um, you know find that that piece on the site if they want to read some more uh, breakdowns. Although we've covered pretty much everything, I think that you talked about. So, twenty seven guys. Obviously, some of them have already committed. So as long as you're
0: projecting, who's the next commit? <laughs> this is a uh, very complicated because things got really complicated in the last 48 hours. The same answer is to say Jermaine Matthews um, as the second to last in-state guy and the other guy. Obviously, I have one there's Arvel Reese, but number 373 player, the number 24 athlete they're recruiting to play corner he earned an offer this summer at a camp where he blew everybody away i think he was the most impressive camper of anybody this summer and um he'll commit on friday at his high school winton woods and um high school in cincinnati ohio i will be there texting from the front lines that's the safe answer the intriguing answer is what is going on with calvin simpson hunt who right now is a Texas Tech commit and falls under the lines of what we were talking about earlier of a a kid where it's like he committed to a school early and he starts to rise up the rankings. And so the previous school is hoping that they can do enough to hold on to him and the big boys don't come to play. And he is now the number 173 player, the number 22 cornerback, and still rising. There might be a chance he's a top 100 recruit by signing day. Maybe he just sticks in the top 150 area. But it feels like the big boys came to play and the big boys won. And Texas Tech is kinda of, I texted this to our Texas um early Tuesday afternoon. It feels like Texas Tech is in this last leg of like fighting to keep him. And so we'll see if they actually win out or if they can just win this battle. But you know, the big boys, aka Ohio State ends up winning the war. And if Ohio State can win the war this week, I'll say. Calvin Simpson Hunt is their next commit with Jermaine Matthews following thereafter. But the safer bet, just because it might feel like that might go on another week, is to just say Jermaine Matthews will be the next Ohio State commit this week. So there's just gonna be
1: a whole pile of DBs in this class.
0: What is that? Four cor- potentially four cornerbacks, and I love counting on it. One, two, three, and in- in three safeties.
1: So like a quarter of the class could be. Yeah. DBs
0: for like a four two five defense that kind of makes sense though.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bringing it bringing it back around to what we talked about before. Yeah, we are going to talk a little bit about quarterbacks before we sneak off of here. You're listening to Buckeye Talk. All right, Stephen. Back in December, when you first did your way too early projection for this class, you did not include a quarterback. When you did your updated projection, you did not include a quarterback. But you think they're going to get a quarterback. I do. You just don't know who.
0: Yeah. Um, So that's I did not include a quarterback in either one. And I'll probably do one more of these before the season starts where I probably will include the quarterback at that point if he's not committed. So either way, I'm going to have the guy who's actually committed or the guy I think he's going to end up committing I didn't do it beforehand because of their offer sheet. They obviously were offering a bunch of the top tier guys, and none of those guys were really connecting at the time, and so that's why. So they weren't going to get a quarterback. Now, as you've been listening to other pods or you know reading the text messages or reading the site, you know that they are now looking for their Mac Jones, which means they're towing the line of having to find a guy anywhere between two fifty and like four fifty, who is okay with the idea of I don't have a clear route to the field. I have to wait my turn because there's some development that has to happen with me. That clearly doesn't have to happen with guys like CJ Stroud and you know, Kyle McCord and Dylan Rayola when he gets here, who should be ready to go by year two, even if necessarily they don't win the job, but they should be competing for the job in year two. That's not going to be the case for this 2020 quarterback. And so far they've found two targets. One of those targets is Austin Novasad, number 260 players, number 13 quarterback, who right now is a Baylor commit. He committed to Baylor back in um, December. And the other one is Brock Glenn out of Tennessee, the number 356 player the number 18 quarterback who had a lot of Auburn momentum before he got that Ohio State offer. But the thing about momentum is in recruiting, if a guy doesn't hop on it early, then they can start fizzling out very, very quickly. Both of those guys are in LA as we're recording this at the Elite 11 competition. So like I think last year we did an Elite 11 pod about how important that is to Ohio State. That can still come to pass in this one here. I think had I done this prediction two weeks ago and I just had to pick between one of these two guys, I probably would have put Austin Novosad, one because I've seen him throw in person and I think he's pretty good and I think he likes Ohio State and it's another one of those, the big boys came to play. Sorry, Baylor, you lost out. But Austin Novosad really liked Texas A&M and I think there was a, I wonder if Texas A&M is going to offer me game being played with that one. And they did. And I think part of why Texas, what we saw is the Arch Manning commitment was like the domino that allowed every other program who is now like, okay, we're not getting Arch. We're not getting this guy. Let's go on down the list here and see who else we can get. So with Texas AM offering Austin Nova over the weekend, it kind of changes some things. And you can't just willy-nilly go like, oh, Austin Nova is going to be a Buckeye because he can stay closer to home as a kid who's from Texas who loves Texas AM and go be their quarterback, especially since we are not getting excuse me, Arch Manning at this point. So that changed things with him. While with Brock Lynn, I mean, I haven't seen him throw. He was supposed to come throw before they gave him the offer. He didn't do that. They played the game of chicken. He won and ended up getting the offer without having to throw. And then he came up here for an official visit for June 17th. They're in the race for that one right now. But as I said, Auburn picked up a lot of momentum. Let's see if they can hold on to that. But right now, it's looking like Ohio's if, if you were to pick a quarterback, you're picking between one of those two. And I don't like the odds there anymore with Texas and um becoming a, a factor in Austin Nova size recruitment. So I, Ohio State would like this to be wrapped up by the end of the summer, but I'm not comfortable saying it will be. I think there might be a couple other guys maybe closer to Ohio who might end up getting some offers later down the line here.
1: Well, I was gonna ask: Are there some names that people should keep in mind as to who the next option down the line might be?
0: Yeah, that's the hard thing right now. It's, it's. I think they're still trying to figure that out because even if you go down the two, four, seven list, it's like how often? I mean, you got to go down to the six hundreds to find guys who are already committed in classes already. And so, I, I, they, they, this is still Ohio State, so you can be picky here, but you don't want to. You want to take a guy here that you feel like eventually can play here, even if it takes him four years to prove it. And right. And so I, I don't know, it's such a lazy answer, but it's the answer that has to be given right now. If it's not going to be one of those two guys.
1: I think, yeah, I, it's going to be interesting because this, it's starting to trend. If, I mean, if neither of those things comes through the the two that you mentioned, I start to think that, now you're in a place where you're not even talking about the Doug plan, where you're getting like that solid guy you know is a backup, um, could hold his own late in his career if he had to. You're I don't know, man. You're it really starts to be more of like a are you looking at the portal situation, mm-hmm. but it's just such a hard place when you when in every other class where you're landing at you know one of the top five quarterbacks in the country, it's hard to get a a quality transfer too, I think.
0: I think you got it. I mean, you would have to go find like the Chug or what's the other kid who transfers here when Justin came here from Kentucky? Um, Gunner Hoke, you'd have oh, to go uh, find yeah. that guy. Yeah, it's just, because here's what we know. As of, if things go the way that they should go here, mm-hmm. CJ is playing in the NFL a year from now. Kyle McCord your starter, Devin Brown's his backup, and then somebody's a third string quarterback, whether it's a true freshman from the 2023 recruiting class or it's a guy from the portal where you just go find a guy who's from Ohio who understands that he's just at Ohio State to be a body, but he loves Ohio State, so he comes home. And I don't think that's negative because then you're still in a situation where it's like, Your starter's a five-star, your second-string guy's a top-60 recruit who will have then had some snaps because he's probably going to get some this up-and-coming year. I think that's a fine place to be. Ohio, Because of how they recruit the quarterback position, I think Ohio State, every four years, is going to find themselves in this position where they're going to get to a class where everybody's going to say no. And the question becomes okay, we're going to try to find a Mac Jones, and if we can't, then we have to use the portal. But I think that's fine because all the other years you're getting C.J. Stroud, Kyle McCord, Devin Brown, and Dylan Rayola.
1: So as you said, Friday you will be at Winton Woods High School, the alma mater mm-hmm. of? mine Williams. mine Williams. Uh, for the commitment of Jermaine Matthews. And then leading into next week should be, unless there's commitments, right? There's not a lot. It's a, it's it's a, it's kind of a getting into sort of a, a slow period at least for like a week or so, and then we'll see what happens after that.
0: Yeah, I think we're just commitments are coming from for schools all around the country. Other than that, I mean, you can follow all the coaches on social media if you want to see them all on vacation. <laughs>
1: Well, and actually, I should say that that like just because it's a dead period for contact doesn't mean it's necessarily a dead period for commitments. So, yeah, something to I guess keep in mind. We'll we'll certainly be keeping an eye on it. That'll wrap up this recruiting episode. Doug will be back soon, and we'll be talking about uh, all sorts of stuff here on the pod. We didn't really talk about baby stuff today, uh, but we'll bring Doug back in for that because I'm sure he'll have some perspective on that and uh, some fun questions for me. So, for Stephen Means, I'm Nathan Baird, and that was. Buckeye Talk.